The scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Good morning. Uh, before we begin, uh, I just want to introduce two newcomers. We have Chris and Andrew. Where are you guys? If you guys can just show of hands. Hi. Let's uh, give them a warm cornerstone welcome. Thank you. Uh, today's message will be on the shorter side because I really want us to enjoy our communion fellowship lunch and uh, so that we can get ready by the, cl by the class time. That's a brilliant name, sorry. <laughs> uh, good morning, friends. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Hihu. I am one of the pastoral interns at our church, and I think this is my second time preaching for EM congregation, so I'm pretty excited. I'm nervous, but uh, I'm really excited to share God's word with the, all of you today. As I was preparing today's sermon, I was reminded of one of my turning points in, in my life. And some of you guys might know this, but after high school uh, in the States, I went back to Korea for about two years because I really wanted to go to this Korean college, and I studied really hard for it. Uh, my, my, for, uh, my Korean SAT scores were great. Uh, my, grade, my grades overall, they were great. Uh, stars were lining up. And the interviews were going great, and I really thought I was going to make it. And I prayed really hard to God almost every day, saying, God, there's no way you're not going to give me this school. There's no way. Like, stars, smooth sailing, interviews are great. Like, everybody's thinking, everybody thinks I'm going to make it. There's no way you're going to give this to me. And my parents, they dropped too much money for this. But I ended up not getting into the school that I wanted to go to. And I remember praying to God, asking, why, God? I thought you prepare everything for me. Things were going great. Like, why? Why did you not give me this? Why spending two years in Korea when my friends, they're already juniors and sophomores in college? Why didn't you give me this school? See, I was praying to him as if he owed me that school. And I was praying to him as if he owes me when, in fact, God doesn't owe me anything. And I feel like many of us can sympathize with my story because we often think and pray as if God owes us something. He owes us blessings, good grades, good fortune, behaving kids, jobs. But the Bible teaches us that God doesn't owe us anything, but we owe him something. So that is why the, that's why today's title, the title of today's sermon is Give God What You Owe. And the idea that I want to consider together is, what do we owe God? And the phrase from today's passage, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's, is a very famous saying. And when Jesus answered his opponents 
with this very phrase, his opponents, they were amazed. They, were, they, they marveled at him. Their jaws were dropped. So, so what is so jaw-dropping and amazing about Jesus' answer and his teaching? And are we too amazed and dropping our jaws at his teaching when we read this passage? So today I wish to deliver his message to all of us so that we too will be amazed and drop our jaws at his infinite wisdom and the truth that God has prepared for us this morning. And the sermon is broken down into two points, the teacher of the way of God and the savior of the image of God. So the teacher of the way of God and the savior of the image of God. So before I jump into my first point, let me just provide you with a little bit of context, the background of what's going on. Why, why are people calling Jesus the teacher of God? So during this time, Israelites were under the occupation of Roman Empire. But this is not their first time. Throughout the history of Israel, uh, they, were they were attacked and taken captive by a lot of neighboring nations. And every time when they were undergoing the persecutions and captivities, God would promise them a kingdom. As, as their hope, a kingdom that is much more powerful than the kingdom that is taking them captive. So for hundreds of years, they developed this kingdom expectation. All they're waiting for is this kingdom to come, this king to come to establish this kingdom so that they can be free from their captivities. And that is why a lot of people followed Jesus around during his ministry. They thought, oh, maybe he's the guy, maybe he's the king. Why? Because he's doing a lot of crazy things like performing miracles, things that humans can do. He's providing a lot of free food, and he's providing really good medical care. Like, maybe he's the guy. And if he is the guy, maybe he is the king that we've been waiting for, then we are ready to fight for him and fight with him. They were expecting a violent revolt, a, a, a uh, military action. But Jesus came to do exactly the opposite of that, right? As we know, Jesus did, he did come to overthrow evil nations and he did come to set God's people free from their captivities, but not in a way they were expecting. Jesus, instead of starting a political revolution, he began to teach people this new way of living. He was starting a lifestyle revolution, the lifestyle of kingdom, kingdom of God. So it's in this context Jesus was being called the teacher of God by his followers. So my first point, the teacher of the way of God. So Jesus is now in the scene, uh, and he is confronting people, and they're, uh, he's confronting people and their misunderstanding of the scripture and their lifestyle. He's challenging people with this new way of living because their lifestyles were looking just like their pagan neighbors. And that's why Jesus was saying, don't forget that you are the salt and light, but are you living like that? Are you angry at your brother or sisters? Then don't come to the temple. Go reconcile first. What, what are you doing here? Are you, are you resisting the temptation of looking at another human being with your lustful intent? Like, are you praying for your enemies? Are you giving your money to the needy? Are you judging others according to your own standard? Jesus was teaching people to live like how God wanted humans to live. So the people who are now, uh, so the people who are, uh, were in the religious and political power, they were, they were ticked off by Jesus' confront, confrontation. 
uh, and they didn't like the fact that Jesus was correcting them, uh, correcting their misunderstandings and their lifestyles, and they certainly didn't like the fact that Jesus, they were losing followers to Jesus. So they sent some of the Bible scholars to Jesus to reverse uno him, to reverse confront him. Uh, they, they are coming to Jesus to catch him off guard so that they could publicly discredit him. And this group that came to Jesus from today's passage was a strange group made up with two very different groups of people, the Pharisees and the Herodians. So the Pharisees, they, are the hard, they were the hardcore religious extremists. They, are, they were the nationalists, and they are the group of people who were hardcore against the Roman Empire. But on the other hand, Herodians, they are, they're the exact opposite of who Pharisees were. They're, they are hardcore supporting Roman Empire. And they wanted Israelites to submit and be assimilated to Roman Empire. So we got two very opposite people coming together to test Jesus. And one thing that I really, really love about the gospel narratives is that anywhere and anyone and anything that Jesus encounters, we begin to see how does everything is corrupted by sin. It's under the curse of sin. Like Jesus reveals sin-tainted abnormalities that we are just so used to. Like this, this strange group, that's us. We make strange alliances like this all the time. Being hypocrites and uniting under a common hatred towards someone. But it's only because of Jesus now these problems, these sins are being exposed. And I love that about the gospel stories and I love that about Jesus. It's because of Jesus now we are finally understanding what's, something's wrong with this world and something's wrong with us. So these people, they came to Jesus, and they said, Teacher, we know that you are true, and you don't care about people's opinion. You are a man of integrity. Like, you, you, you are legit. You are a true teacher. Only teach the way of God. You don't change your answers. Depends on how people react. You, you are a good teacher. Like, they sound good and real, right? Because they are true statements after all. But they don't mean it. And that's why Jesus calls them hypocrites. They're being nice to him, and they're complimenting him and saying all these nice things because they're saying this to flatter Jesus. They're baiting Jesus to speak incautiously. They want Jesus to trip over his own words. It's like, it's like this. When I teach our youth students instruments, I'll play something really cool on the guitar, and they'll say, oh, my gosh, Pastor Hugh, you're so good. And I'll say, yes, I know. And then, and then right after that, I'll play a wrong note, <laughs> and they will make fun of me. That's going on here. That's what they're doing. So after complimenting Jesus now, they, they hit him with this trap question they prepare. It's a yes or no binary question. So they asked, is it lawful? Meaning, is it, is it right according to our scripture? You see, they, they're very sneaky. Is it lawful? Is it right according to our scripture to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Like, should we pay them? Or should we not pay them? So Caesar was the uh, Roman emperor. And the tax in the matter of discussion here is not a typical sales tax or a normal tax that you have to pay. This was a type of tax paid by all adult men and women just for the privilege of existing under the sovereign rule of Caesar. It's a census tax. You pay because you exist. So why is this question a trap question then? 
Because if Jesus says yes, then the Pharisees will be like, what? Why, why would you say yes? We've been calling you the teacher of God. Right? You're supposed to help us resist this pagan nation. We cannot give our allegiance and support Roman Empire. You're not a true teacher of God. Cancel. See, they wanted to publicly discredit him. And if Jesus says no, then the Herodians, they will report Jesus to the authorities for treason, for revolt, for, for rebellion. And Jesus' no will mean that he is publicly going against Roman Empire, Roman Emperor. So the question is set up in a way that you have to answer either yes or no. And either answers will get Jesus in trouble. But instead of answering the question incautiously, like what I might have done or we might have done, he asked for a denarius. And denarius was this silver coin that was used to pay this tax, this census tax. It was a common coin. It was about a daily wage of a working class person. So now let me uh, share with you guys how this coin looked like. It was a perfect timing. Thank you. <laughs> on, the, on the one side of the coin, you can see Caesar's image, his face. In the, in the inscription around the coin, it says Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. And on the other side of the coin, you can see the inscription says Pontifex Maximus, meaning the high priest. Through this coin, Caesar is claiming himself to be the son of God and the high priest. Again, this is why I love the gospel narratives. I think it's ironic that Jesus, the true son of God and the true high priest, is holding a coin that has a mortal man's face and is claimed to be the son of God, to be the high priest, the true mediator between the realm of God and realm of men. See, Jesus revealing all these abnormalities that people are just so used to. So after acquiring a coin from someone in the crowd, Jesus asked them whose likeness and inscription is on, the, on, on this coin. And people answered Caesar's because Caesar's face is on it. So the word likeness is a word that these Bible scholars were very familiar with. Because this is the same word that was being used when God said, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. See, it's in this, Jesus is echoing the creation narrative, Genesis. And it's in light of this rich Old Testament understanding, Jesus, he's, he, he answers them, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So if the coin bears Caesar's image, therefore you should give it back to its owner, then whose image do you bear? Jesus is rhetorically asking them, who do you belong to? If you're so concerned about Caesar's money, think about whose image do you bear and who do you belong to? And in his answer, he changes the verb. He changes the verb that was used to ask him. They asked Jesus, should we pay the tax? Should we give the tax? But Jesus, he changes the verb and he answers, no, you don't just give. You don't just give your unconditional allegiance to Caesar. You render. You give back to Caesar what you owe. You don't just give him your love, your heart, your allegiance. You give him what you owe him. If you owe him your civic duties, then that's why you'll give back to him. But just remember, whose image do you bear? And therefore, what do you owe him? And this is why they marveled at his answer. These Bible scholars, they knew what Jesus was doing. 
Jesus, his teaching was deeply rooted in Scripture. And they're the Bible scholars. So they knew what Jesus was doing. But Jesus, he not only successfully stripped away the political nuances they set up as a trap, but also he taught them that the heart of this issue is that everybody owes God something. That's why they were speechless. They were utterly amazed. The word here, amazed, only occurred once in this passage in Greek. It's utterly, they were utterly amazed. So the question is, what do we owe God? We bear God's image, so we owe God. But, but what do we owe God? Like they, These people, they all knew that they owed Caesar his coins, and we all know that we owe our Caesar tax. We're so, we're so diligent in filing our taxes. And we are so concerned about not letting our work Caesars down. But Jesus says, if the coin bears Caesar's image, therefore it belongs to him, then we, be, then we as God's image bearers, that means we, we owe him our beings. We belong to him, our, our hearts. That means all humans have to love God with all of their hearts, all of their strengths, and all of their minds, and all of their souls, and love their neighbors as themselves. And Jesus, he actually concludes these Bible scholars' challenge with this very idea later in the chapter. And that's what it means to bear the image of God, to love God and love others. We owe him love. This is simple, yet it's very hard to live it out. So are we, as God's image bearers, living a lifestyle that's in an attitude of rendering to God our hearts? Are we living like how God wanted humanity to, to, to be? Are we actively seeking reconciliation before coming to church? Are we resisting the temptation of looking at another human being with the lustful intent? Are we praying for our enemies? Are we giving our money to needy? Are we letting God to be the judge instead of us being the judge? And are we being faithful and truthful at our workplaces? And are we bridling our tongues and refraining ourselves from gossiping and cussing? Because that's how a, God, that's how a God's image bearer is supposed to live, being a genuine human being, loving God and loving neighbors. But it seems like his teaching is telling us that we are not genuine human beings because we are very far from the way of God. And the way of God goes against everything that we're so used to, everything that I'm so used to. And his teaching ought to make us speechless. However, Jesus, he was not only the best teacher of the history, but he is also a savior. He didn't only point out the problem, but he suggested and he gave us a solution. And this train of thought leads us to my next point, the savior of the image of God. So, okay, okay, I'm following. So today's passage is telling us that everyone bears God's, everyone bears God's image, therefore we all owe God ourselves, our hearts. That means all humans have to love God with all of their hearts, with all of their minds, souls, and strengths, and love their neighbors as themselves. And that's what it means to bear God's image, yes. And if you think about it, humans are made for these conditions. 
We are made to be loved and love. Like something about our, our system, uh, the physical bodies, emotional capabilities, uh, our, everything about us are t- tailored and made for these tasks, to be loved and love. But something, our, something about our bodies, something about us, we are not made and we're not tailored for torture or, or pain or hatred, right? See, Jesus was a really good teacher and his teachings was great. And imagine a world with me where every, everybody's living according to his teaching, loving God, loving others. That's all they're doing, just loving God and loving others. And everything they say, in everything they think, in every feeling, any emotion they're feeling, all they're doing is loving God and loving their neighbors. What would be the problem? That would be awesome. There would be no problem. So then let's all live according to Jesus' teaching. So let's do it. Even non-Christians think his teachings are great. So let's do it. But the thing is, when we look at the world that we're living in, this world doesn't look like a world where people are loving God. And this world doesn't look like people are loving their neighbors. No. There are wars and abuses, bullies, crimes, and blasphemy everywhere. There's this thing called sin, like a virus, infecting people and preventing them from being genuine humans, like how God wanted humans to be. And they rebelled against God. So all human beings, we are tainted by sin, so we can't live like God's image bearers no more. Sin corrupts and pollutes our hearts and our our, our abilities to be genuine humans. So we sin against God and against people. We not only fail to love God and love others, but we, but we succeed in hating God and hating others. And I, I think that's crazy. We, we fail to love. We miserably fail to love, but we, we succeed in hating God and hating others. So something is fundamentally wrong here with humanity. Something is fundamentally wrong with me. I can't live according to Jesus' teaching. That's it's impossible. And, and, and everyone's in the wrong. We, and we can't help each other. That's the thing. Because we're all, we are all drowning in the swamp of sin together. We can't help each other. So what did God do? to save us from this mess then? What did he do to restore his sin-tainted image bearers? He entered into our mess. He became one of us, taking on our nature to represent us so that he could help us and show us what a genuine human being looks like. Perfectly loving God and loving neighbor. And that is why the Father sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus, the creator of all things, king of heaven and earth, king who has everything, he let everything go. He didn't even have a single coin, remember? He had to ask the crowd for a coin. That's how he came to us. He entered into our mess, this world where nobody loves God. He came here. The king became the savior, and God became the savior for sinners like us. And our Savior, he took on all the curses of sin upon himself and died on the cross so that rebels can be forgiven and our image 
can be restored. And this Savior, he now wants us to render to God what we owe him, something that we couldn't render before, our hearts. The king of the universe became a coinless savior so that we can know that God loves us and he wants us to live a life that is in an attitude of giving God what we owe. And we owe him our love and we owe him our hearts, church. And for those of us who put our trust in Jesus, his blood washes away all sins so that now we can reflect his divine love back, his divine love back to him and to our neighbors to others, to our families, and to our friends. So now we are able to live a life how God wanted humans to live by the very power of God dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. That means we are now commissioned to live a life that resembles who God is in words and deeds full of love. So let love overflow from your heart. So now, with the help of the Holy Spirit and perfect modeling example of our Lord Jesus Christ, now we are able to put aside our pride and seek reconciliation before coming to church. And now we are able to fight against the temptation of our lust. And now we're able to pray for our, pray for our enemies who are also God's image bearers. And now we're able to give our money to other image bearers who are in need of help. And now we are able to be faithful and truthful students and work at our workplaces or school. And finally, now we are able to bridle our tongues and refrain ourselves from gossiping. Isn't it so hard to bridle our tongues because we're just so used to all these sin-tainted abnormalities? People say that's okay, that's normal, that's natural, but it's not. Jesus says it's not. But today's passage tells us that we are ought to live as God's image bearers, rendering ourselves to God by loving him and loving our neighbors. And our gracious God, he did not leave us alone with these hard tasks. He has given us his very personal breath, the Holy Spirit, so that we won't get winded living out this renewed life. So church, let us be reminded once again this Sunday morning that what our loving Father has done for us in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he is doing right now through the help of the Holy Spirit. And let us live another week in an attitude of rendering ourselves to God by loving him and loving our neighbors. Let's pray. Uh, Father, um, we are truly grateful for your word. Your word is true, uh, it's alive and active, and, and your word is sharper than any swords or blades. And this morning, through your word, you showed us the work of Christ and, and Jesus, our Lord, who died and resurrected for the benefit of those who put their trust in him. So, Father, like a good surgeon, would you use your word to cut open our hearts, and would you take away all the residues of sin? Help us to remember that Jesus came down to die for our sins so that we can, we can be loved by you and love you in return by loving our neighbors. We are rendering ourselves to you not because he saves us or make us good people, but because you are a good God who made us and saved us. 
So Lord, would you use us for your glory, our lives, our joy, our gifts, our talents, our money, our time, and our energy. And Father, even our hurts, our traumas, brokenness, and things in the past and things yet unseen. We offer everything to you, Lord. We offer everything to you, not because we are perfect, but because you are perfecting us and you own everything. So in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's all